0: Rats Ranked. Splinter. Rizzo. Remy. The Rats of Nim. Templeton. Last place, Scabbers. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for surviving the rat race.
1: Sidious, Sidious, what could I have done? The Dark Lord! You have no idea! He has weapons you can't imagine! I was scared, Sidious. I was never brave like you and Remus and James. I never meant it to happen. He who must not be named forced me. Don't lie. You don't understand. He would have killed me, Sidious. Then you should have died.
2: I'm Heather price Wright,
0: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: Welcome to The Quibbler. Before we get started with the episode today, um, just in case any of you, I don't know, like always stop listening right after the adult themes, which would be weird, but you know, you do you. Anyway, to get started, we wanted to make a pretty cool announcement. So first of all, we asked you a couple of episodes ago to help us reach a little milestone which was we wanted 50 ratings and 30 reviews on iTunes.
0: And you guys pulled through totally. Yeah, much. you guys
2: pulled through hard. Um we reached and then exceeded that milestone this past weekend. So Thanks everybody. Yeah, that's amazing. That's
0: super cool of you guys. Really
2: really really nice. We got such sweet reviews. We were really happy and excited. And um, keep them coming. It's amazing. And, you know, the more you rate and review us, the easier it is for people to find the podcast, the better we feel about ourselves.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's all about our personal validation. Yeah, Uh I mean,
2: basically. It's like getting A's.
0: (laughs) Hermione would have the best ranked podcast. Yes, she would. Clearly.
2: So we promised you guys that we would do something fun to kind of celebrate this little mini milestone. So we're going to. So we would love it if you would join us and um, tune in on Sunday, April 2nd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, so 1 p.m. Pacific Time, to see us broadcast a recording of a Quibbler episode on Facebook Live. We are going to be recording the second to last episode of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It'll actually just be one chapter. It will just be... The chapter called Hermione's Secret. Which is a doozy. It's really long. So we figured we'd just do that one in a full episode. And yeah we're going to be recording live. From our handy dandy bedroom. Not a studio studio. (laughs) And you guys can watch. If you want. You can watch some of it or all of it. Or you know. That would be super cool. So again. Sunday April 2nd. Go to the Quibblers Facebook page. Which is also brand new. And you can go like. Um, It's just facebook.com slash quibbler podcast and yeah we'll be facebook living our our recording session so i think it'll be pretty fun yeah you guys will get to hear all of our like bloopers and idiocy um which maybe will be fun for you or maybe we'll pull back the veil a little too far and see that we're bad at this and good at editing (laughs) um anyway we hope you do that so on to this week's episode the chapters we're reading are the servant of lord voldemort And The Dementor's Kiss. You are in for plenty of cursing and massive spoilers. This is a very 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 spoiler heavy episode obviously because like the biggest reveal of all the reveals happens. So I don't know if you care. That's weird. There's 24 of these now. You know this. You're also in for some adult themes. This week's adult themes are strange bedfellows, narcs, moving in together, Bad Moons Rising, and the Worst Possible Game of Spin the Bottle. Do you want to tell us what happened this week?
0: Yes, I do. So this week's chapters begin with Snape totally losing his shit in the Shrieking Shack. He believes he has cornered Lupin in the act of helping Sirius Black get Harry, and he is just snarling and being generally... Snapey, He's, like, getting all up in Sirius's face. He's like, I'm super glad I caught you. Sirius is like, no, you don't understand. There's this whole complicated backstory that we can't really get into again because it would just take, like, a lot more pages. We already yeah, had that yeah, chapter. Yeah, <laughs> we already it's had that chapter. Page back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Harry and the gang are like, no, let him finish. Like, they need to explain what the hell is happening here. And Snape's like... STFU you, kids you're in enough trouble as it is in the company of a convicted murderer and a werewolf
2: as if that's their fault yeah
0: <laughs> so snape is prepared to take lupin and sirius to the dementors but then harry ron and hermione simultaneously expeliamus him knocking him against the wall and out cold so Hermione's like oh my god we attacked the teacher we attacked the teacher we attacked the teacher and Lupin's like let me continue my monologue so Harry's like this doesn't mean I believe you I just want to get to the end of this gripping tale and Snape came in like mid-episode and threw off my like binge listening game or whatever so the explanations continue so Lupin asks... Sirius, how he found out Scabbers was Peter, Sirius is like, I read it in a newspaper, fool, that Cornelius Fudge had brought to him in, uh, in ask Az- had given him in Azkaban, when Sirius was like, hey, you gonna finish that, which blew Cornelius's mind, as we learned in, uh, The Three Broomsticks earlier in the book, um, so we saw the article about Ron and his family, splurging on a trip to Egypt with their prize money, and he saw in the photo Scabbers with one toe missing, and then he realized, damn, that's Peter Pettigrew. He's at Hogwarts. He's at Hogwarts, which he then started shouting in his sleep. So Sirius resolved then and there to escape from Azkaban and avenge Lily and James, and protect Harry Potter by going after Peter Pettigrew at Hogwarts. So it turns out that Peter Pettigrew was actually the Secret Keeper. Sirius thought at the last minute that it was too obvious to have him be the Secret Keeper and that there might be a spy in their midst who would inform de Voldemort, who he thought was Lupin. So he and Peter switch places as Secret Keeper at the very last minute, and then the night that Lily and James were killed, he went to go check on Peter, he wasn't there, Sirius like, well, I fucked up big time, went to the house, too late, it's in ruins, he goes after Peter, corners him in a street, Peter screams, Lillian James, how could you, slices off his own fucking finger, and then blows the street apart, turns into a rat slips into the gutter with his other, like, rat pals, and that's how Sirius was framed. So, Lupin's like, let's settle this, give me the rat. Ron's like, no, it's my pet, it's just Scabbers! But then they blast him with some blue and white lights, and bam, Scabbers, it turns out, actually is Da, da da motherfucking Peter Pettigrew, who's got this, like, squeaky-ass voice, and he's, like, still super in rat character when he comes out of being a rat. Because, you know, he's been a rat for 12 years. Ugh. And uh, he's like, Jim, oh, serious, it's good to see you again, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Caught in the act. So then Peter has to explain himself. He's like, no, no, it's all This is all a lie. Like, I act like Sirius super did it. Uh, and he's being increasingly unconvincing. Hermione astutely cross-examines Sirius to get to the bottom of this and asks, asks some very searching questions. Peter says that Sirius used tools given to him by Lord Voldemort or dark magic to break out of Azkaban. So Hermione's like, how did you break out of Azkaban? And it turns out... The fact that he could become a dog shielded him from the Dementors, because they couldn't— his, like, emotions were less human, so they couldn't feed on him the same way, so he was able to keep his mind. And some of his powers.
2: It's also because he knew he was innocent. Right. Which he he describes in a really beautiful way. He says it wasn't a happy thought, so the Dementors couldn't take it from me. But it was still like a grounding thought, and I knew who I was.
0: So yeah, so he was able to like keep a sense of himself and his identity. And when he got the newspaper from Fudge, he realized he had to get out of there. He became a dog, slipped through the bars, because he was a super skinny dog at this point. Because they had been... Fe- I don't know, what did Dementors feed you? Just like... I don't know. I don't know. Spam or Lush. whatever. Yeah. Slipped out of the bars, swam to the shore, which how he got through the currents and, uh, like you know, like the tidal currents or whatever, I have no idea. He couldn't have been that weak because open ocean swimming, pretty difficult. But that's neither here nor there. It's all magic. And then he met up with Crookshanks. He befriended Crookshanks, the most intelligent of his species he's ever met he they like communicate so they're not like talking to each other but they communicate in some way anyway crookshanks is like dude i will help you out and he tries to bring peter to sirius but of course fails peter catches wind of that of what's going on fakes his own death again by biting himself and getting blood on ron sheets and then hightailing it i guess to hagrid's shack living in like a teacup i don't you know i I don't know where Peter was lying low this whole time. You'd think he just would have, like, bailed for good. But, anyway, Peter's like, no, don't believe, don't believe any of this. It's far-fetched. He says far-fetched, which is just funny. But then Harry, realizing the truth, says he believes, serious. And Peter's like, no! Guys... Like, I know what I did, I know I did, like, a bad thing, but, you know, what else was I supposed to do? Voldemort was taking over everything. Basically, I had to do it to protect myself. Lupin and Sirius are like, tough shit, dude, we're gonna kill you now for, like, being such a fucking asshole. Uh, but then Harry once again says, no, don't do it, my dad wouldn't have wanted you guys to become killers, we're gonna take him to the Dementors, he can go to Azkaban. He can, like, stand trial. So, Harry's... Lupin's like, you're the one who gets to decide? That's what we'll do. They conjure some manacles for Peter. They levitate Snape, who's still unconscious. And they head out of the willow. But then... Oh. As they're walking out, Sirius says, like, So, Harry, I'm, like, technically your godfather. And if you want, like, a new place to live, that... Cool, And Harry's like, hell yeah, I hate my aunt and uncle, and it's really touching, and uh, it'll bring a tear to your eyes. It certainly brought a tear to mine. As they're leaving the willow, they're all bathed in moonlight, and we realize that Lupin has not taken his werewolf medicine. So, he starts to transform into a vicious beast. Sirius morphs into a dog to have a wolf-dog battle with Lupin. In the Chaos, Peter Pettigrew jacks Lupin's wand, which he has dropped in the ground, blasts Ron and Crookshanks, turns into and turns into a rat, slips out of the manacles, and runs away. Sirius manages to fend off Werewolf Lupin as Padfoot, but he's grievously injured. He runs after him into the forest. Harry and Hermione chase after Sirius and they find him collapsed by a lake, and Dementors closing in. Hundreds of Dementors are closing in on the three. Harry feebly attempts to conjure a Patronus charm, thinking about how he and Sirius are going to live together, but to no avail, the Dementors bust through the Patronus, lower their hood, and are about to administer the Dementors' kiss on Harry first, when, all of a sudden, a silvery force drives the Dementors away, Harry sees a stag, a glowing stag, crossing the lake to what looks like a very familiar person. But no, it couldn't be who Harry thinks it is. And that is where we are this week.
2: Yeah, that's a really, really good cliffhanger. Fuck! Yeah. Hold on. So, fucking Snape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But if if there was a mistake— Keep quiet, you stupid girl! Snape shouted, looking suddenly quite deranged. Don't talk about what you don't understand. A few sparks shot out of the end of his wand, which was still pointed at Black's face. Hermione fell silent. Vengeance is very sweet, Snape breathed at Black. How I hoped I would be the one to catch you. The joke's on you again, Severus, Black snarled. As long as this boy brings his rat up to the castle, he jerked his head at Ron. I'll come quietly. Up to the castle, said Snape, silkily. I don't think we need to go that far. All I have to do is call the Dementors once we get out of the willow. They'll be very pleased to see you, Black. Pleased enough to give you a little kiss, I dare say. What little color there was in Black's face left it.
2: On the one hand, like, I understand his kind of, like, zeal to get Black like he really believes this story that Black is this murderer and um, he feels like he's been vindicated in his lifelong mistrust for Sirius Black and Remus Lupin. Mm-hmm. But like there's a couple of descriptions in that in the cu- the first few paragraphs of that chapter where Snape is like great life's wish which is to like catch these guys and Rowling describes him as deranged she describes him I think as like beyond reason and it's just and even Harry says he's like you fucking moron just because they like teased you when you guys were 12 like you really want to kill these guys like despite the fact that they might be innocent and Snape is like fuck yeah this is worth it to me like I don't give a shit what they say I don't trust them they're bad and I'm gonna like bypass the school. I don't even wanna fucking like put Lupin on trial. I want the Dementors to immediately suck out these souls. Yeah. And it's just like, this is when we get because we've had a couple of chapters where we We've talked about Snape being smart and intuitive, and like he's an interesting character. He's more complicated than like Voldemort, but he is still like not good news this is a crazy crazy way for a person to behave
0: yeah uh i always thought this was kind of his worst moment especially the first time i read these books this is kind of snape at his most villainous in a way but at the same time i mean think about what this looks like on the marauder's map that he sees and uh
2: Yeah, but it's I think it's less like his actions and more his like affect because he's so happy that this is happening. Yeah. Like he's feeling such intense pleasure at getting to kill these people, you know, like he wants so badly to hurt them. Right. Which I think that's regardless of whether he ended up even being correct, like, that is not a good look for him. And and that, I think you see his most naked, just sort of, like, true destructiveness and cruelty. Right. Like, he really thinks that because they were, like, I mean, he's not wrong. Like, they were dicks to him as kids. Yeah, They didn't treat him well. But, like, he thinks that that is the same thing as him now turning them over to literal, like, eternal suffering and damnation. (laughs) yeah. And it's just, like, if you really don't have enough perspective as a human being to see the difference between getting, like, pretty badly bullied and, like, damning people's souls, then you're bad. You're a bad person. Right. Like, your morality is fucked.
0: His inability to forgive is his biggest crutch. Oh, yeah. And it's Harry's biggest strength. So they're kind of nice Contrasts. They
2: really are. In that way. Well, he like, also. Harry's not a bitter.
0: Harry suffered way worse things than Snape um uh, And Snape a youth.
2: doesn't acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Like, Snape is like, I've had it harder than you. And Harry's like, fuck you.
0: In fact, the worst thing that happens to Harry is essentially the worst thing that happens to Snape.
2: Right. And they, rather than Snape, like, having empathy and, like, sharing in that pain with Harry, right. he uses it as a reason to make Harry's life hell. Well he also he pulls an Uncle Vernon where he's like you know what if Sirius Black kills you in this moment you'll probably deserve it you'll die like your father too fucking arrogant to like whatever. To yeah believe he does it's,
0: oh my god says, another that's
2: such a horrendous oh thing no. to say
0: another adult telling harry one of his parents deserved to die
2: yeah
0: oh my not god not only
2: he snape takes it one further he says a your parents deserve to die and yeah, B, a parent
0: a parent a parent well yeah, okay no. but one he wanted to
2: bone yeah but i mean he also like i think he damns her too like he's like she made her choice yeah so i whatever I don't want to get into the Lily shit yet because I hate it. Um, But not only does he say James Potter got what was coming to him because of his arrogance. But if Sirius kills you right now, like it'll be basically par for the course and you'll deserve it. And it's like this is a child.
0: Thirteen years old, man.
2: Snape is so deranged.
0: Yeah. It
2: bugs me that Dumbledore trusts him. Snape has so many chances and comes very near to fucking everything up. Yeah. When Dumbledore is like, no, dude, like, we have one job. (laughs) We just have to get this kid through until he can, like, whatever, be the chosen one and blah, blah, blah. And Snape is like, um, let me make that real difficult. Like, because he just, he can't get out of his own fucking way.
0: Right. Uh, Is there anything else we want to say about Snape?
2: Well, it reminds me... Of the villain in... We've talked about this before a little bit. But the villain in the most recent Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah. yeah, Where
2: he's like willing to unleash eternal hell on Earth. Because like he got like teased. And it's... And that guy's a villain. For a reason. Like that's not an appropriate response to bullying. Right. A. Like don't be bullies. Like I'm certainly... I feel like people... Listeners know we're not seeing James and Sirius as innocent here. No. Like, I, I I don't think that their behavior was ethical. But they were also kids and Snape is now a grown-ass man and he needs to get over it.
0: It's interesting because the ethical decisions that the quartet all made as kids all does all of them in. I guess it's five. Snape, Peter, Sirius, Lupin, and James, the choices they all make as kids end up killing all of them in a way. Yeah. Um, or just kind of the spot the consequences that spin out of them becoming young adults. Yeah, because Peter is kind of groomed to be this subservient like they never really recognize his humanity in a way, or like his like, help him become his own person. They kind of treat him as a mascot. So he finds i m- I'm not, like, blaming the victims here, but... But, no,
2: I think you know, they have he- some culpability.
0: And, and nobody, kn- nobody knows how... It's interesting, because you don't know how the little things you do are going to, like, bite you, like, way down the line. But, I mean...
2: Well, but there's if, this- if
0: Sirius and Lupin hadn't been so terrible to Snape in the past, like, this all would be not getting fucked up right now.
2: I think I have a slightly different take. Yeah. Which is that the immense trauma of the rise of Lord Voldemort basically caused, like, an arrested development in this whole generation. Yeah. And I feel like you've seen that in, like, generations in after, like, a a war. Like, there's writings about what the kind of post-World War I generation was like. It's not that... Who you are as a kid always follows you in this way. It's that all of these people who could have grown into well-adjusted adults got thwarted and stunted by horror right at that cusp. Yeah. So they're all like stuck in who they were when this like profound pain set in. And none of them ever grow past that. And I think Harry, Ron, and Hermione are going to end up having a pretty similar experience as adults. Um, I haven't read Cursed Child, but from what I've heard about it, like, this haunts them too. Right. I think experiencing, like, extreme peril and trauma as, like, a young adult makes it really hard for you to move past the person you were at that moment of trauma.
0: Well, I'd certainly never thought about it like that.
2: James like okay James and Sirius like their lives basically end. Well, James's life literally ends, but Sirius' life basically ends when James dies. Yeah. Like Lupin's life
0: Well, and Peter's too, in a lot. And of Peter's ways.
2: life basically ends when he makes that choice. Snape's life essentially ends as far as he can cons- he's concerned when Lily dies. Yeah. I mean, Harry is super warped by it because in a normal pattern of growing up into adulthood, people like work through that kind of thing. Like they are like, oh, I don't have to be mad at my bully forever, or oh, you know, like maybe I made destructive choices as a young person that I can atone for in some way, but this particular group of people, and I think this whole generation in the wizarding world, like you see it reverberating out in a lot of the other like minor characters later, they're just like totally like stuck at this like, exactly the point where they were when this war started. That's like what *All Quiet on the Western Front* is about. Like you kind of stop. It's really, really, really hard to continue to grow as a person post generational trauma. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's my like larger take. I've heard it. I think *Harry Potter and the Sacred Text* actually did. So, shout out to another *Harry Potter* podcast. Um, so, this is not like an idea that I came up with on my own. But I think it's a really like it's no- notable here. Um, they compare it to Holocaust literature where trauma makes a whole generation different and a whole people different. There's like a pre voldemort and a post voldemort and like nothing about those worlds is the same, right? including the souls of the people who were caught up in it like at that moment. Sirius and Lupin and Snape and Pettigrew, all the people that survive it, they still can't outgrow it. Because they just had this moment where, like, everything about them was just, like, seized in time. It's really sad. I mean, even Dumbledore is thwarted in his growth as a human by the, like, kind of series of traumas that he's undergone. We see that in Book 7.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever really thought about it like that. So I, th- I think I'm going to have to digest that a little bit. Because I'm not really sure how to respond to it right now. Um... I just lately,
2: I mean, I have been thinking lately about these as like war novels. They're also fantasy novels. They're also novels about magic and, you know, school and children and growth and all that stuff. But these are all people who've been through a war, I guess.
0: I guess up to this point, because, you know, I've been thinking so much about books one, two, and three, I'd been coming at it from Harry's perspective and thinking about. Voldemort's attack on the Potters as something that happened to Harry is like a tragedy Harry has to deal with. And now that I think about it, I mean at the definitely at the end of this book, and certainly in book four, you start to see that it's not just Harry's tragedy, it's in the context of this wider this wider conflict. Well, every yeah. single
2: person in this final showdown has been like irrevocably shaped right. by James and Lily's death. And I think what's interesting to think about is like they are two people of hundreds or thousands that right. died at, yeah. in the same way. So it's like this is a whole world reeling from exactly the thing that is like making Harry's life.
0: Reminds me of something my dad always would would tell when my dad would like talk to me about fantasy books. He would say, like, the great epics have, they do this broadening of perspective where you start in, like, the Shire or Tatooine, like, the farm on Tatooine. And it's, like, slowly you peel back this, like, huge world.
2: I mean, I think these books do that.
0: They do it wonderfully. Magnificently. And I
2: think this last scene is the first, this is the first time where Harry realizes, like, there are grown-ups who spend every day thinking about my parents as much as I think about my parents. Like he, when There's a couple of moments where Sirius and Harry kind of look at each other. And I think the, the moment when Harry says, I believe you, is because Sirius says, Harry, I would have died before I would have betrayed your parents. And Harry can see in Sirius's eyes, like, this means the same amount to you as it does to me. Like, this wrecked you.
0: There's a really haunting moment earlier in the books that we didn't linger on very much where Harry is describing to Lupin what happens to him when he gets close to the Dementors and he's describing hearing his parents and Lupin, like, kind of makes a motion toward Harry, but then pulls back.
2: Right. So I think this is, like, the beginning of that lens widening where we get to see, like, this is a—the generation—like, Harry's parents' generation— is, like, decimated. And all of these grown-ups know a dozen or more people who they lost in this way. And there's an interesting kind of, like, selfishness of childhood where, like, Harry hasn't ever thought before about the fact that his parents might have had friends. Right. Like, this is the first time Harry's ever hearing, like, oh, there's people that knew my parents that cared that they died that sort of aren't, like, me I mean, I don't know. I kind of remember the first couple times I was like, "Oh, my parents have like peers." Yeah. Like there's people, there's other grown-ups that care about my parents the way I care about my parents. And that's um that's like a one part of what Harry's experiencing right now, but I also think Harry's starting to see what just like carnage does to people. I I think of these, and especially when we get to book 5, which, you know, we'll obviously linger on that more, but these start to become essentially, yeah, novels about a war. Um, so the next thing is this is like, a, well, I don't know. This gets like profound in a certain way, but it's just a fun observation. Hermione is such a student. Like she's so scholarly. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. She asks great questions of, of Black. But uh, we also see her humanity when she calls him Mr. Black
2: that's such a beautiful... It's such... That's. This is the first time that I ever, like, noticed that moment in reading this book.
0: And Sirius does a double take because no one has been polite to him in more than a decade.
2: Yeah, she treats him like a person. Yeah. Um, and that's when he
0: kind of starts to get his humanity back, in a way. He starts to be a little less crazy. Because he's been, like... Oh, yeah. Really...
2: Yeah, off the rails.
0: <laughs> he's been it has been really sketchy up to this point.
2: Right. And I think Hermione is really good. And we talked about this a little bit with Hagrid. But, like, she's really good at kind of, like, bringing people back to Earth. Yeah. So, but I also like that her questions, and I think she's doing this on purpose, but her questions are so calm. She's not like, what do you mean? That's crazy. She's like, (laughs) can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. And she's really, she's really good at, like, making people feel like they're having, like, a normal conversation.
1: Right. Ah, uh, Mr. Black, serious, said Hermione. Black jumped at being addressed like this and stared at Hermione as though he had never seen anything quite like her. If you don't mind me asking, how how did you get out of Azkaban if you didn't use dark magic? Thank you, gasped Pettigrew, nodding frantically at her. Exactly, precisely what I but Lupin silenced him with a look. Black was frowning slightly at Hermione, but not as though he were annoyed with her. He seemed to be pondering his answer. "'I don't know how I did it,' he said slowly. "'I think the only reason I never lost my mind is that I knew I was innocent. That wasn't a happy thought, so the Dementors couldn't suck it out of me. But it kept me sane and knowing who I am.' Help me keep my powers, so when it all became too much, I could transform in my cell, become a dog. Dementors can't see, you know, he swallowed. They feel their way toward people by feeding off their emotions. They could tell that my feelings were less, less human, less complex when I was a dog. But they thought, of course, that I was losing my mind like everyone else in there, so it didn't trouble them.
2: So speaking of Sirius's humanity, let's talk about his survival strategy because it's really interesting. I don't know what I th- think of this. Maybe we can talk about this. The fact that Dementors perceive his his dog mind as like they can't discern it from the mind of a human who's like going mad. I think that's an interesting commentary on what losing one's mind feels like or what it what that means. Yeah, how so you kind of like shed layers of self, you mm-hmm. know, cuz it's like your thoughts become less and less connected to like human meaning. Right. But at the same time, I think it's it's also like a, it's a very kind depiction of it because it's not like, like when Sirius is a dog, he's clearly not simple-minded or it's just like a different, he's more kind of instinctual and his emotions are more clear-cut. So I don't, I I just, I don't know. I think that's an interesting observation.
0: Right, right. It becomes... Focused on the primal.
2: Right. And I think, and also focused on survival. And I think one of the things that that kind of calls out is that really losing your mind. Like having, being sort of so mentally ill in whatever way that that you sort of don't recognize yourself.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. We talk about prison as dehumanizing. Yeah. So. And that's like literalized here. He weirdly turns that around on the prison itself. It's like yeah. an interesting reappropriation of that. It is. It's not. A, yeah. He becomes less human to hang on to what's human and like his humanity. I right? right. Or his essential
2: self, self. His core. His being. One of the things that she's saying, I think, with that little um, description is that crazy people don't stop being selves. Right. And it's it's interesting that there is a core that Dementors can't take away, even from the prisoners in Azkaban who have gone mad, unless they do the Dementors kiss.
0: Another thing Rowling catches on to that I think is really interesting is he talks about having to focus on his unhappy thoughts. To survive, and I just finished this oral history of the Soviet Union called Secondhand Time, and a lot of the survivors of the Gulag talk about how you can't hang on to like your happy memories. You have to weirdly focus on the here and now, which is terrible, but if you think about what you've lost, it will destroy you.
2: Yeah, and I also think that's interesting because this emotional state that is between happiness and despair. Yeah. Like that there are things that a person can sort of like hold in themselves even when they're not feeling good or well Mm -hmm. that are still essentially human and essentially theirs. Yeah. So like knowing he was innocent – I think it's interesting, yeah, because he's like that's not a happy thought because it means that I'm like a falsely convicted criminal having like the super worst experience ever. But at the same time, it's it's not just a give up, despair, despondency. Nothing is nothing exists. Thought
0: right, and it's his. It's harder to take away from him. Right, when things are just generally terrible. He can like maintain ownership of well, something. and
2: then when he finds out that Peter Pettigrew is still alive it becomes this spur to like actually make him escape. Because again, it's not, Peter's existence doesn't make him happy, but it makes him like sharper of mind and like sharper of purpose. Right. She's really astute about how many emotional shades exist and how it's possible to be unhappy, but still like there, like still showing up. Like, you can hold on to yourself in a lot of different ways. You
0: gotta be pissed.
2: Yeah, sometimes anger is an animating force. I think activists talk about that. Like, you don't have to feel like butterflies and sunshine in order to feel necessary and, like, you know, whole. You have to feel like you have something left to do in the world.
0: This is not a very funny episode.
2: Yeah, well... (laughs)
0: These are.
2: I mean, these are not very funny chapters. These are chapters. not whimsical
0: chapters. Yo, uh, in Chamber of Secrets, Hagrid just gets sent to Azkaban willy-nilly, and we don't know anything about it, and now we're learning that they sent him to the worst place ever.
2: Yeah, they sent him, like, to hell, basically. How did Hagrid survive?
0: I think he almost didn't. Yeah, yeah that's crazy <laughs> i think they got him out of there right in time actually yeah that's based crazy. on what he tells uh what he tells ron harry and her hermione in in this book but i mean man they weren't even really feeding serious thin enough dog to slip through the bars yeah
2: yo he was a good swimmer
0: yeah nuts
2: uh that's like Actually, the least believable part of this whole plot to me. I forgot
0: how he'd gotten off the island, but then I guess he just swam. I, the dog, he paddled that shit. I don't.
2: I mean, he must have sort of like he's. I mean, I guess he is a magic dog. Like he's not. Well, we know he's not one hundred percent just like a normal dog because Crookshanks is like, you are not a dog, bro. Right. <laughs> like Crookshanks is like, I don't know what you are, but dog, no. That is not a rat. You are not a dog. Something is up to some shit. Let's talk a little bit about Peter and who he turns out to be and the choices he makes and the excuses he makes for himself. What do you think about Peter saying, I had no choice, guys?
0: The whole series is about choices, right? So Peter's kind of one of the most detestable characters in this book where even his allies... His erstwhile allies are disgusted by him, and uh, you know, he's kind of immediately vile.
2: He's awful. <laughs> his physical description is so good, but then again, it comes back to like a quibble we have throughout the series, which is like, why do bad guys have to be disgusting looking?
0: Yeah, I think it's more that he's kind of internalized his, I don't know, he's like weirdly become rat-like because he's spent just way too long. As a rat,
2: what do you think his life was like as a rat?
0: See, I have a qu—yeah, the question about kind of animagus, animagus—how do they pronounce it again? I can never remember. It
2: doesn't. I don't think there is a way to yeah. pronounce it for us. I say animagus, but
0: Animag- animagus like biology. Was he just eating? I guess he was just eating rat food. Yeah, does that taste good to you when you're a rat?
2: I don't know. Or I, like, is it
0: like you have your human taste buds? That's is a it long time. Crazy
2: long time to live um, as another species.
0: Yeah, it is nuts when, when he's kind of pleading for his life. He's like trying to rely on his resume as a rat. Basically, he's <laughs> like Ron. Wasn't I a kick-ass pet?
2: And Ron is like, hey, no, you suck. <laughs> Even as a pet, you were terrible. Yeah, you were. <laughs> and Ron is like, are you kidding? This is the worst thing that I've ever seen.
0: Also, ew, you slept in my bed.
2: Every night. Ugh. Oh, it's awful. It's <laughs> awful.
0: Weirdly, he did have to role play, though.
2: Yeah, he had to, like, be a rat.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. So he had to weirdly, he kind of did the opposite of, no, not the opposite it's kind of parallel to what Sirius did, right? To survive, he had to
2: be an animal. Be
0: an animal, yeah. Like shed his uh,
2: personhood,
0: his self, and like become this like pet.
2: Yeah,
0: as yeah, he like literally become not. He's not a lap dog, but he's like a lap rat.
2: It's disgusting. Uh, it's so. Gross. I, I don't know. That's. Uh, it also, he had to like live in the sewer. Before the Weasleys got him.
0: Yeah. I wonder what that process looked like. He just showed up.
2: Yeah, that's, I was wondering, like, he was like, hey, I'm your pet. And they were just like, yup. Like, how did he get, how did Percy get him in the first place? I don't know. Yeah, well, we don't need to even, like, get into that. But so Peter has this, basically, his refrain is, like, Voldemort was coming for everyone. Like, what was I supposed to do? And that's what makes him like perhaps the most despicable character in the book because he's saying that to a bunch of people who did what they were supposed to do right they're like what the fuck do you mean what were you supposed to do you were supposed to be a good person
0: peter though was faced with an undeniably hard decision
2: yeah but so were all of them yeah
0: i i know but uh I, and is so i guess my question is is there any room for compassion or like under maybe no a-
2: I have no compassion for Peter Pettigrew. All right. Because Peter Pettigrew was surrounded by people who were making the right choice. He knew the right choice. He's like, oh, I would have died. It's like, yeah, a fucking lot of people died.
0: Yeah, I I, I know you're right. I, I just thought it was, like, worth asking the question.
2: I guess, like, okay, I have compassion for it being a hard choice. But he's presenting it like there was no other choice. And it's crazy right, to of- say that to someone like Sirius and Lupin when they're like, uh they're super were you know that because you're standing in a room with us
0: right peter's like i am just a product of the times
2: (laughs) but that is basically what he's saying he's like you have to like and i I don't buy any of that shit like you have to accept my choices because like i was in a hard situation and literally every single person in that room is like fuck you We were all in a hard situation. A lot of people did the right thing. Yeah. Like just because you don't, well, okay, so this is like, there's like modern political analogs. Like just because you don't buy the ideology doesn't mean that going along with it isn't evil, you know? And he's kind of like, well, I don't like really think what Voldemort thinks. And it's like, it doesn't matter. If you ally yourself with him, you're like him. And you belong to him and you are of him. And it doesn't fucking matter what you think in your heart of hearts because your choices are killing people. Right,
0: right. The intention doesn't matter. The ends are still the same.
2: I don't know how political we want to get, but I, I feel like in the muggle world, there are people that are kind of like making morally compromised choices because they're like, well, this is what we've got. Like, Trump's what we got.
0: Right. For example. Right.
2: Like, what else are Republicans supposed to do? And I want to be like, be fucking human beings. Think for five seconds, not in your rap brain, about who you're actually impacting and like what people are and then like make a decision based on that.
0: Rilling definitely comes out very strongly against people who make decisions based on their own survival and not like for the, you know, the greater cause or, or, or the group because fudge is a lot like... Pettigrew.
2: Yeah, he is. Especially later on.
0: He's not even looking out for his own, like, corporal well-being. He's looking out for his career.
2: It's not that she thinks people are inherently bad for, like, making choices based on their own survival. It's more complicated than that. It's more like you don't get to claim that there's only one option. That's never true. Right. So I think she's more, she's harsh when people see all around them that there are two options and, like, choose the bad one and then try to turn around and say like I had no choice and it's like you do you always do because I do feel like there are characters that like own that a little more it's also interesting that Sirius points out that Peter Pettigrew didn't even go into hiding because he was afraid of Sirius Black he yeah, was afraid of Voldemort's right. supporters mm-hmm. I mean I think that's the other interesting observation she's thinking about evil is like evil eats itself
0: yeah like it not- eats its own young they're not loyal to each other. No, it's these hoes see, like, ain't loyal. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's why like hate groups are notorious for like splintering because nobody can get along.
2: Right, because like I said, these death eaters ain't loyal.
0: Yeah, these death eaters ain't loyal. You're that right. might be the episode. That's good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, fucking Peter.
0: All right, next. <laughs> Lupin forgets he's a werewolf.
2: Oh my god. That's like my biggest quibble in this in this chapter.
0: Is it a quibble? I mean, it kind of, I mean, he was about to, the potion was on his desk, but then he saw it on the map, what was going down, and, uh, you know, he just missed his uh, prescription. I
2: just feel like that's a big thing to forget. Yeah, it's
0: like you had one job?
2: Yeah. Take your potion. Take your medicine. I don't all the way blame him, but it is annoying that they're like, oh shit, he's going to become a werewolf. And it's like, Lupin, you didn't want to mention that earlier in the night.
0: Didn't Snape say he brought a draft with yeah. him? Yeah. Oh my god.
2: He just didn't take his potion, and he's like, looody doody doo like walking out of the willow, and it doesn't occur to him to be like, you guys, I might, I might just, I might go, you know, like yeah. I, I think I'm gonna go on ahead because it's possible that I'm gonna become a monster soon. So yeah. like, you, do you serious? Like you got this? He's like. But he's also the only fucking grown-up there with any sense. So he has... I don't know. It's that
0: time of the month.
2: Oh, my God. Yep.
0: This is why... uh,
2: That is a super sexist analogy.
0: I just think it's funny that...
2: He does have a time of the month. No, no, no. Lupin has a
0: time of the month. I just think it's funny that he can't really handle it. Yeah. Even as an adult man.
2: Well, I mean, no adult men would be able to handle their times of the month. Let's be real. (laughs) If adult men had non werewolf times of the month we would have paid menstrual leave in this country. We would just take a week take a week off a month. I believe that with all my heart and soul. That is not the point right here. Yeah fucking Lupin just like I don't know ruins everything. I can't be that annoyed with him because he's like trying real hard and it sucks that he's a werewolf but also. I don't know, like, keep one of those little calendars that, like, ladies tick off.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. No, I know. if women can deal with this, then Lupin can too.
2: Like, if we can remember to, like, bring supplies so we don't, like, bleed on stuff. Right. Like, you can remember to take your don't-become-a-murderous-monster potion.
0: Yeah, just the lack of responsibility all Um, around.
2: Right before Lupin becomes a fucking werewolf accidentally harry and sirius have this conversation wow. about
0: yeah that's a tear jerking moving in together moment
1: some sort of explosion took place in the pit of harry's stomach what live with you he said accidentally cracking his head on a bit of rock protruding from the ceiling leave the dursleys of course i thought you wouldn't want to said black quickly i understand i just thought i'd Are you insane, said Harry, his voice easily as croaky as Black's. Of course I want to leave the Dursleys. Have you got a house? When can I move in? Black turned right around to look at him. Snape's head was scraping the ceiling, but Black didn't seem to care. You want to, he said. You mean it? Yeah, I mean it, said Harry. Black's gaunt face broke into the first true smile Harry had seen upon it. The difference it made was startling, as though a person ten years younger was shining through the starved mask. For a moment, he was recognizable as the man who had laughed at Harry's parents' wedding.
2: Yeah, I don't even know what there is to say. It's just so beautiful. Sirius wants to love Harry so much, and Harry wants to be loved so much, and it's so sad. Two
0: people who've lost basically everything... Finding a home. But then... And then it's it's cruelly ripped away from them.
2: In like a chapter, it's going to become, oh my God. Like, sometimes I want to scream at J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Like, can Harry just have this one thing? Can he just have one safe place? Although he has Ron and Hermione, so he does. That's true. He has what Lupin had when he found James and Sirius. He has people that make him safe.
0: Yeah, you're right. Aww. But still. It sucks. Although Sirius
2: seems like he would be a terrible guardian. (laughs) Like it would be like.
0: (laughs) He's a cool dad.
2: He's. Yeah, they would just probably eat like chocolate frogs for dinner and like stay up all night and like play wizard video games. And like (laughs) Harry would come back to school and be like, I didn't do any of my homework. I just hung out with my dog dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think. Well, I think maybe that would happen sometimes, but. Sirius would feel the tug of responsibility.
2: I don't know. He, like, doesn't very often in the books. Yeah. I, no, I think he'd be, like, fun dog dad. Dog dad? Lupin and the dog Sirius father? could, like, two men and a baby it up. Yeah. And then he would just be like, I live with a dog and a werewolf. <laughs> it's way better than Dudley.
0: Actual wolf pack.
2: Um, oh, yeah. I don't even want to linger on this too much, but let's talk about the Dementor's Kiss.
1: Gross. Where there should have been eyes... There was only thin, gray, scabbed skin, stretched blankly over empty sockets. But there was a mouth, a gaping, shapeless hole, sucking the air with the sound of a death rattle. A paralyzing terror filled Harry so that he couldn't move or speak. His Patronus flickered and died. White fog was blinding him. He had to fight. Expecto Patronum. He couldn't see, and in the distance, he heard the familiar screaming. Expecto Patronum! He groped in the mist for Sirius and found his arm. They weren't going to take him, but a pair of strong, clammy hands suddenly attached themselves around Harry's neck. They were forcing his face upward. He could feel its breath. It was going to get rid of him first. He could feel its putrid breath. His mother was screaming in his ears. She was going to be the last thing he ever heard.
2: Oh, it's awful. Um, do you think it's worse than dying?
1: Probably.
0: I mean, they describe it as she says it's worse than death. No yeah, soul. How? You're just kind of. But what is that? I guess, yeah. What it, does that is it,
2: feel like? Is
0: it death? It's That's basically death. Because mm-hmm.
2: if is... you don't have a soul, like, do you have thoughts? Do you have a mind? Do you have anything?
0: And what happens to the soul?
2: I don't know. Like, where does it go?
0: I don't know. The Dementor's Kiss sounds really scary, but it's hard to imagine, like, the consequences of it. You know you don't want it to happen. Right.
2: It is a little bit too, like, metaphysical Mm -hmm. to to linger on without you being like, oh, does this make sense?
0: Yeah. Uh, What is scary is that they have no eyes, just a sucking mouth.
2: Yeah, that's the worst. So when
0: you remove the eyes, that makes...
2: It's really that's scary. like a
0: that's that's like a classic horror design choice. Yeah, because like the the beast in Aliens doesn't have eyes,
2: or like that guy, or the, in hand, Labyrinth, the hands, hands the guy, guy.
0: I forget he's we're got both a na- doing yeah. the gesture. Yeah. You guys
2: can't see us, but we're he's both got like a, holding you know, our palms in front of our eyes. He's got
0: a name, but that that's like a yeah, you know, It's true classic.
2: Yeah, because it adds. This- Do you think they like? metabolize it? Like, is our souls, like, do they break them down into like soul proteins and soul carbohydrates and that's what they like literally live on? I don't know. Like, what is your soul made of?
0: They would need, I don't know. It's uh, a lot of
2: questions.
0: They need, they can't rely on it as their sole source of, their sole source of food because, thing. Uh, no pun intended actually. Yeah. Because, they don't get to do it right. often. Yeah, they, maybe it's just like a, like, it's more like eating the placenta for them. It's like really nutritious, maybe.
2: Ew. But yeah.
0: Yeah? I, I, I don't know. I don't even... What is a Dementor, even? They, I think they're a creature. Yeah, we refer to them as demons, but that's not really what they are. I, mean, I guess they're called
2: Dementors.
0: I guess you're right.
2: I guess it's more like demented yeah. than demon.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I don't
2: know. Do you? I don't know the etymology of those words though. Maybe those are connected.
0: Yeah, I guess we should have done our homework there. If anybody well, we will, if
2: any of you are like linguists and you know, if well,
0: they kind of live in, they live in like the filthiest place, the like disgusting places. Um,
2: it seems like that's dumb. Like they should just live in cities. Yeah. Like, well, why would they live away from people?
0: Dark alleys, maybe frat houses. Yeah. <laughs> You know. <laughs>
2: dementors just live in they
0: live in, they live oh. in the frat kitchens. Yeah,
2: probably. <laughs> House dads. Yeah. Dementor Dad. It's like that sounds like one of those Disney Channel original movies. Yeah.
0: Oh, also, I mean, this is the first this is where it's Dumbledore's hatred of Dementors is like totally justified and we realize that he was totally right about them all along. They're and gonna they give just, Harry
2: the kiss. Yeah. They, they, they don't just, give a fuck if you're guilty.
0: Yeah, their their blood is up and they're just they just want some of that sweet soul meat.
2: They're gonna they're gonna eat Harry and Hermione's souls too. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they like the ministry I mean, that's there's later on, like this becomes like a major plot point, but like the ministry has no control over these creatures. Right. They're just like, this is a person with feels. Like, should we eat them? And they're all like, yep, eat the feels. (laughs) Num, num, num. Um, Ugh. God, the Dementors are so scary.
0: Well, I guess, I mean, that might even be a more commentary on, like, the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex, where, like, you know, it just keeps going, and it will consume. Right, And there's, like, no way. It's, like, extremely hard to rein in. Because once you have... Like, there's no other purpose for a dementor to exist than to suck out people's souls. Right. So and that's what they're going to do. Like,
2: institutionalized cruelty is self perpetuating. Yeah. And once you institutionalize cruelty, you can't then limit that cruelty. Like, that's a crazy thing to do as a policy. Right.
0: So using the Dementors in the first place is, like, their original sin. Like, there was no way this was ever going to turn out well.
2: Right. I mean, it's, like, the same way, like, encouraging prison guards to, like, deliberately see prisoners as non-humans. It's like, how the fuck did you think that was going to turn out? Yeah. Because then they're just going to turn on everybody. You can't, you can't encourage dehumanization and then be surprised when like these guys are monsters. Yeah. Well, also dementors are literal monsters. So using monsters and trying to be like, "Oh, we're just hiring them." You can't hire a monster. Also,
0: they're not very good at their jobs because you know what guarding something entails? Having eyes. <laughs> They're what? like, is this a dog or a human? I, I literally tell. don't have eyes. I can't I see. Can't
2: look at it, and it he fucking gets out. You know,
0: like Fudge is like, hey, did you like look over the memos I sent you? And they're like, no, we can't read.
2: <laughs> We're blind. Yeah, and we. Uh, it's weird that we Fudge, smelled them. Yeah, we smelled those memos. <laughs> they yeah. didn't have souls in them, <laughs> so we threw them in the ocean. Oh man, yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible prison idea. Like nothing about this terrible. works. Terrible. Nothing about this works. <laughs> it's like A, it's really cruel, but B, it's just really poorly thought out. Yeah, badly designed, you guys.
0: But I get if you lay off all the Dementors, as we see, they, uh, you know, they go to. Uh,
2: yeah, no, they become worse. St-
0: things happen. They go right. work for. They go work for Baldy.
2: They all get like Dementor pink slips. Yeah. <laughs> you can't fire a Dementor because if Fudge was like, "Hey, you can't work here anymore," they'd be like, "Okay, bitch, let me kiss you." Like,
0: well, <laughs> you
2: have no control over them, because if you do something they don't want, they'll kill you.
0: Is, it's...
2: It's a terrible thing. It's interesting thing.
0: about it. That it's, like, also the construction about how they're, the Wizarding World is in league with the Dementors. So they clearly have some kind of, like, intelligence that goes beyond, like, well, I guess, like, Buckbeak or other magical creatures. Fudge can, just another like, magical talk creature. to them. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah, they can, you can communicate with them, because you can, like... Also, how do you, like, okay, so the Dementors are, like, on the lookout for Sirius Black. They can't fucking see. Like, how do they know who that is? <laughs> like, do they, do they, does, do they know his, like, soul pattern? Like, how are they, how are they, I get kind of how they guard a prison, but how are they, like, trackers? Yeah. They can't tell wow. the difference between people. They can't tell the difference between a person and a dog. Yeah. <laughs> How are they out here? Well, I'm actually, serious? they kind—they
0: of, kind of can because they don't think. No, I guess not. Maybe they can't—they can't sense the dog at all. I don't know.
2: No, they can sense the dog, but they think it's a person going crazy.
0: Right. They're not just like, "Why is this dog in here?" No. Yeah. Because they geez. can't. Like, Idiots.
2: I just—it's a so I guess bad that's why system. they're. I guess
0: maybe that's why they're gonna suck out Harry and Hermione's they don't know who souls. The fuck they're fuck like, they are. "Well, you they're know, like, these are people." We're gonna get this thirty like thirty-three percent, right. Uh,
2: Damn, though. Yeah, it's not a it's not a well-designed this is a, system. This is, a,
0: this is a poor system. So here's a quibble I have. Why don't wizards use more magic? Explain. So As they're leaving the willow, Lupin conjures some manacles. And then manacles Ron to a convicted killer. But uh, we'll get to that. Uh, not a convicted killer. An actual killer. Sirius is the convicted killer. Uh, he conjures some manacles. He levitates... Snape.
2: That's a really creepy description, by the way. Right. Snape like, is, like
0: floating along. Bob.
2: His head is like bobbing on, uncom- like unpleasant. Yeah, they should have
0: given him some like neck support. But yeah. I guess Snape was just a super asshole to everyone. I don't so. care if
2: Snape gets like a crick in his neck.
0: <laughs> anyway, they should have used more magic on Peter instead of just conjuring some completely fallible handcuffs. They like. Remember when Hermione uses Petrificus Totalus in the first book on Neville? On Neville to just freeze him. Yeah, that's what they should have done. No, it's like, crazy that more... they.
2: It's crazy that they they handcuff him. I,
0: I feel like there's. I feel like there's multiple situations in these books where more magic could be used yeah. to better effect. And I get you know he has to escape because that drives the plot forward. And that's kind of the that's kind of the perilous part of writing a book about people who can do magic tricks because they can
2: like they have to be fallible otherwise there's no plot right but yeah it's very stupid to just be like what if we lock this (laughs) man who's a murderer and can turn into a teeny tiny rat in a regular handcuff to a young boy and then we just walk
0: also can't they stun the werewolf
2: yeah i don't actually know
0: they should th- use their wands more. I, they should just try.
2: I know. It's it's really weird that Sirius is like, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to become a dog and we're going to get in a fight. Yeah, there's like, a
0: dog fight. There
2: has to be an easier solution to this problem.
0: <laughs> Stun
2: him. Exactly.
0: Conjure a leash.
2: Yeah, if you can make a manacle. And a muzzle. Can't you make a... Right? Oh, my God. Conjure
0: a muzzle. Right. I guess no one's... In fairness, shit's out of control. Nobody has time to think.
2: Yeah, but if You they gotta had, like,
0: remember the, like, muzzle-summoning charm.
2: But if they had prepared better in the first place, shit wouldn't have gone so south. Like, if Peter Pettigrew couldn't easily run away and the only threat was, like, we'll kill you if you become a rat. And he's like, yeah, if you can fucking find me. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. It's badly designed. It's like a real... That, that like, little parade. And a like, Crookshanks is leading the way. <laughs> it's like... Everybody, we're going to hook you all to the bad guy and follow this cat. <laughs> like, let's go. Oh, Who's your unsung hero? I
0: guess it would be Ron in these chapters. He really took a... Once again, Ron takes a beating for, for his friends. And he takes guarding Peter really seriously. Because I, li- I like that he, he takes... It's a personal affront to him. That he's been living with this creepy murderer dude for... That's a really Years. good line.
2: He seemed he took it as a personal insult.
0: The scabbers was uh, Peter. Peter, yeah.
2: Um, mine is a stretch, but it's Cornelius Fudge. Not because he willingly does anything good, because like fuck that guy. <laughs> but he does give Sirius Black the newspaper in Azkaban, which is how Sirius figures out that Peter Pettigrew is alive. Which
0: was a nice move. On his part. Yeah,
2: it's weird. He, like, treats Sirius Black like a person for a second. Yeah. So, whatever. There's some human kindness in there. He's not, like, a, an evil person. He's just, like, inept. and. But, again, this is what we talked about. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't matter yeah. if you're personally yeah. evil if you align yourself with evil.
0: Uh This week's episode is brought to you by the literal moon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks, Were- moon.
0: <laughs> Werewolves stay away from it. Otherwise, enjoy the moon.
2: Whenever I think about the moon... Basically, which actually I think about the moon a fair amount. One of the things I think about when I think about the moon is that 30 Rock episode <laughs> where Buzz Aldrin goes, do you want to yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin?
0: Lupin would yell at the moon with if he Buzz could Aldrin. go outside and like look at it without turning into a monster. You dumb
2: moon. I walked, I walked on your face. Um, Good stuff. The audio clips that you heard in this episode are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Once again guys for real April 2nd 4pm Eastern Time tune in on Facebook Live. um, it is going to be way less rough than this episode. You guys can't tell how rough this was, but this episode is like an hour and a half long.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and we s- just spluttered a lot. So it's going to be better than that, but not that much better. So it'll be fun for you. Tune well, in.
0: Well, you're going to see behind the scenes, so.
2: You are. You'll see it's our how faces. The, it's
0: how the chocolate frogs get made
2: or whatever. <laughs> mm. um, also, please continue to do your darndest to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You guys did an amazing job. Maybe soon we'll set another goal. But in the meantime, five stars if you feel like it. I hope you feel like it. And um, a review if you have a little more time than that. Definitely subscribe. Please tell a friend. Every single one of you has a friend who loves Harry Potter as much as you do. And isn't listening to this podcast yet. So fix that.
0: Whoa, that was spoken with authority.
2: I'm an authoritative bitch.
0: (laughs) You're not... (laughs) Well, own it.
2: Yeah. Um.
0: Uh, we have a Facebook page now, which we alluded to with the Facebook Live, but yeah, it's out there. So just look up Quibbler Podcast, a Harry Potter book club, and uh, give us a like for more fun updates, etc. Um, the usual, we're on Instagram, Twitter, at Quibbler Podcast. There's a newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Quibbler podcast. This week's was particularly good. You
2: guys, this dog and this owl were like really good friends.
0: So, owl news, totally legit this week.
2: Also, if you sign up like this week, we'll send you that one too. So you can see this fucking owl and dog hanging out together because truly,
0: you might just revisit it.
2: It's the greatest thing I've ever yeah. seen. Next week, we're doing Facebook Live, and the chapter, we're just going to do one chapter because it can't be as monster an episode as this one, so we will be reading Hermione's Secret.
0: I wonder what it could be.
2: I hope you tune in. We are really excited. We love you. It's been great. Thanks.
0: Thanks, amigos.
1: A cloud shifted. There was suddenly dim shadows on the ground. Their party was bathed in moonlight. Harry could see Lupin's silhouette. He had gone rigid. Then his limbs began to shake. Oh my, Hermione gasped. He didn't take his potion tonight. He's not safe. Run, Black whispered, run, now. I'm sorry if I've disappointed you. Would you like to yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin? Yes, please.
0: I own you. You dumb moon. I walked on your face. Don't you know it's day? Idiot.